in most organizations is senior leadership is dying for someone in the organization to pick up the ball and to solve a problem. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. This is the Inspiring Leaders podcast. Thanks for checking in with us today. I know you're going to be glad that you did because we have a fabulous guest joining us today. I'm your executive coach and host, Terry Lepofsky, and today I welcome to the show a good friend and an inspiration to me, Mr. Dave Stahoviak. Dave, it's awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for taking time to join us here today. Terry, it's so good to get connected with you again. We haven't talked in a while, and I'm glad to be back in your company. It's good to hear your voice again. We're going to start off with a quick question for you, Dave. Who or what inspires you? Oh, gosh, so many things. I'm thinking about my son. He is in first grade, and he came home the other day with several pages that he'd handwritten. And what he had discovered in the library at school was a book about how to make slime. And <laughs> slime. <laughs> slime, yeah. And so for whatever reason, I didn't get the details as to why he didn't check it out, but he decided to transcribe the recipe onto paper. He brought the paper home. He talked with us about going to the store, picking up all the supplies. And Sunday night, he made a whole bunch of slime in the backyard, did the food coloring and made some for his sister. And, and then he brought some of it to school for his friend. Yesterday, he comes home and he says, Dad, I want you to know that some of my friends might be reaching out to you by phone or by text. <laughs> And apparently oh, oh what no. he did is he passed along my cell phone number to any of the kids at school who were interested in having him make some slime for them. <laughs> and so he's <laughs> taking orders through my cell phone. Talk about an entrepreneur. I was cracking up because, Terry, when I was a kid, I was the quietest, shyest person. I was telling my wife, I'm not even sure I ever voluntarily talked to another child in first grade. <laughs> You're kidding. Yeah. So to have him just going out into the world, thinking about people, how can I do something and how can I make connections? I'm just so inspired and just impressed by him. And I so wish I had been like that when I was in first grade. You are such the family guy. Ever since I've known you, you're always talking about your family. I'm going to elaborate a little bit about your background and what you do. I can actually remember back on your podcast that you record where, was it your son that was born while you were doing your podcast? Yeah, the show's been going that long, even though he's seven years old. We've almost never missed a Monday in all the years we've been doing the show since 2011. He was born and the week my daughter was born, we did miss the Monday. So it's been a journey. This journey of parenting is correlated with my journey of coaching for leaders as well. That's a good segue. Let me do the bragging about you here, Dave, just so our listeners can appreciate who we have here on the show. Folks, Dave is actually Dr. Dave. Dave actually has a PhD in leadership from Pepperdine University, and actually so does your wife, Bonnie, right? She does. We've got two PhDs in leadership in the house in California. You're the host of the Coaching for Leaders podcast, which happens to be one of the most successful podcasts on iTunes and certainly is one of the most 
popular in the highly competitive leadership category. Dave, your podcast is probably one of the main reasons that led me to start this show. So thanks for that. Well, I am just grateful to have had the opportunity to be of some influence in your work. And uh, congratulations also to you. You are two years into this journey of the show. It's been so fun to watch you bring in wonderful voices and guests. I think it's really great when we are creating as leaders and creating something for the world. And you have been a leader in that as well, Terry. And I think that probably going to dovetail a bit into our conversation today. You know what? I think it probably is based on what we were chatting about earlier. Dave, I'm thinking back to when you and I met. We met as part of a mastermind group, but I'm also thinking about other people that were part of that small little group that I've had on this show. People like Tim Stringer, Beth Belo, Dana Jansen. That group that we had really seems to have gone full circle in many ways. Each week we would take turns presenting challenges and then the rest of the group would pitch in to help move that initiative forward. And it was enormously helpful. I think you've taken it to a whole new level with Coaching for Leaders and the Coaching for Leaders Academy, a small group of leaders that get together under your facilitation and guidance and then help each other to grow and improve. And I think it's amazing what you've done with that really innovative and developmental platform. Well, thanks, Terry. I think a lot about community these days. I think that for most of us, at least the people that you and I tend to work with, are not people that generally need another course or another class on delegation. They have done a lot of that already earlier in their careers. And what they are often struggling with, as I have throughout my career until recently, is having community having others that they can share ideas with and collaborate with, it is a real challenge of leadership that many of us find ourselves in positions where we can really be quite isolated and quite lonely. Even though we are surrounded by people all day long, it can be a very lonely job. That's one of the words that comes up often in my conversation with folks who follow our show. I'm very much in the business of helping leaders to find and create community where they can learn from each other and share wisdom and get the objective perspective that so many of us need today. Well, I'm going to make sure that we've got lots of links to that in the show notes because I think it's such a valuable service that you're providing for people. Now, what we've got here today is a very interesting conversation on what I think is a really unique way to look at leadership. And in fact, I think that this qualifies as leadership philosophy, which I think is influencing the future of leadership in general, the way that leaders perform their jobs. And when I first heard you say that leaders are both consumers and producers, first of all, it really intrigued me. But when I heard you elaborate on this thinking and this rationale, it really opened my eyes, Dave. And I'd love it if you'd put some perspective around this idea, maybe elaborate on it a little bit more so our listeners can get that same aha moment that I got when we spoke. Yeah, indeed. I think it really goes back to where I started my journey, and I'm sure many listening have been in the same place where we wanted to get better at something. And around the topic of leadership, I've always had this interest in getting better at this. And I started off, like many people do, of taking classes and reading lots of books and going out there and trying to find what was going to be most useful and helpful to me. We have had this culture, at least here in North American business culture and and organizational culture of if I take a class, get a degree, 
get a certificate, read a book, that that is pretty good as far as being able to improve whatever skill set I want to get better at. And it is absolutely true that it is an important starting point for developing a new skill, but it is not in and of itself behavior change. Right. And that's something that I have found over the years. One of the phrases that people have said to me a lot in my work and training over the years is they'll say some version of, I love learning. I really love learning and getting new ideas and diving in on new things. And I don't know, it was the sixth or seventh hundredth time I'd heard someone say that to me. And I sort of realized uh, one day and having been in the training industry for a while, I was like, I don't love learning <laughs> at all. <laughs> really? No. Interesting I, to hear somebody say that out loud. <laughs> I don't. I mean, if I really am honest yeah. with myself, because learning is change. Learning is challenging. I mean, try to learning a new language or learning to ride a bike for the first time. Watching my kids both struggle with learning to ride bikes recently, it's hard. It's frustrating. You fall. You look ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, why would anyone want to do that? <laughs> yeah, a good point. Yeah. Other than being able to get to a longer term goal, something flipped in my brain at some point along the way in this journey of like, when most people say, I love learning, what they really mean is, I love collecting information. I love listening to great speakers on TED Talks. I love reading books. I love going to conferences. By the way, these are all wonderful things. I do the same thing. But those for me are things that fall under the category of I'm a consumer. I'm consuming information. I'm acquiring more information. In and of itself, though, it is not enough. Real learning is I do something intentionally with that to then take a step forward. And I'm willing to be poor or mediocre for a while at developing a new skill and changing my behavior and being a bit of, in addition to a consumer, being a bit of a producer. And as I started thinking about that and seeing that in my own behavior and making a few intentional steps to being a bit more like a producer in some aspects of my life and in my career development, I saw some phenomenal shifts. And it's been really, really fun to be able to go down that path a bit and also to encourage others to start to go down that path more. You're talking about that ambivalence to take something on when you really don't know where to step forward. You're reminding me a little bit of something that I heard from a guy by the name of Tim Urban, who was up on the global TED stage not too long ago. Tim was talking about getting ready to do a TED Talk. And he said, I've always wanted to have done a TED Talk. And then he qualify it by saying, have done a TED Talk. <laughs> it wasn't the preparation for it. He wanted to have it done and sort of checked off and under his belt. I could so relate to yeah. that. I have a very similar feeling about if, if I ever got the privilege to do one, that would be the same thought I'd have. Yeah, but I like this shift, though, from consuming to actually producing and the very different sort of perspective that it takes to be able to get into that zone. Here's an example of that, Terry. And this may be a bit ironic, us having this conversation on a podcast, but I get regularly an email or some version of an email that says, hey, I found your show and I've started going through and listening to the entire back catalog from, you know, whenever to, you know, and, and I'm working on catching up. And I have to be honest, Terry, 
when I get those emails, that feels really good, <laughs> right? I always am like, wow, you've been going through a little back catalog, listening to all these shows that I did. Uh, and it's, it's certainly a nice ego stroke. For sure, yeah. I will say I am more impressed when I get an email from someone who says some version of, I received some feedback six months ago from my boss, and I realized that I am not doing a very good job of giving others feedback in my organization. And so I went into your library and I found the six episodes on feedback and I've listened to these four or five. What's the next yeah. step I should take after that? Yeah. For me, those two people, and by the way, I have been both of those people and often am the consumer in both of these scenarios too, right? We all are. Me too. <laughs> yeah. But I realized how impressed I was from the people that I would get that second email from who said, here's something I need to get better at. I went and found the thing that is going to help me to be the starting point for this. And now I'm going to take the next step to figure out how I'm going to change my behavior on this. And that's the thing for me when I think about leadership and leadership development and learning that really separates the leaders who are able to grow and develop themselves and get feedback and get better, dare I say, you know, step into this really tough thing we call learning authentically, is that they're really intentional at least at some of the right times, about zeroing in on what they need, going to find it, and then figuring out a way that they're going to take the next step. Absolutely, yeah. You and I are both students of Dale Carnegie. Part of this came from watching not only myself, but colleagues teach courses at Carnegie over the years. I've been a Carnegie instructor for almost 15 years now. It's really interesting taking a Dale Carnegie course because one of the things that people, when they attend a course with Dale Carnegie, they say, well, I've read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So why do I need to take the course? And it's interesting when you get into the course that Carnegie offers on that book, there's very little focus on the content of the book. Yeah, I mean, the content is there, all the principles that Carnegie teaches. But the vast majority of the course and what instructors do in the Carnegie organization is to take people along a journey of helping them to have a behavior change over a course of weeks and months so that they actually do the things that they already have bought into. When I think about Carnegie's work on using people's names and listening and allowing other people space to share their ideas, almost everyone knows that. We all buy into that. Yeah. And we're like, okay, we should all be that kind of a person. But very few people do it consistently. And I realized that Carnegie was so good at being able to take some really great information and content, but to actually get people to do it. And you'd see people come out of this experience, whereas in a typical training class, you'd have four or 5% of people would have a really life-changing experience. People coming out of a Carnegie course, you'd have more than half the class would have life-changing, career-changing experiences from it because they got people to make behavior change. The focus wasn't just on the knowledge. It was how do you actually put it into practice? That was just a huge shift for me, especially growing up in a world of traditional training and education. At one point, wanted to be a speaker and go around the world to make that shift of, oh, it's not about the knowledge so much today. It's about how do I really create value by changing my behavior? Building it right into not only intentions, but into habits and then actions and then a repeatable behavior. Yeah, indeed. If you think of things that require people to have really good behaviors, 
most of them, institutions and organizations, at least make some effort to really focus on behavior change. I think of like the DMV, for example, learning how to drive a car. Yes, there is a classroom portion where you have to learn the rules of the road and you have to take the exam. But nobody thinks that if you can ace the exam, but have never stepped behind the wheel of the vehicle, that you are a good driver. And that's why so much of driver's education is focused on the behavior. Yes, you may score 100% on a written exam, but do you know how to merge when you get on the freeway? That's a whole different thing to actually do for the first time. And so, so much of the learning is around that. The DMVs figured that out, but for whatever reason, we haven't figured that out in a lot of places doing leadership development and corporate training. It's still very much a, how do we follow a set curriculum and give people as much knowledge as they have, but not necessarily making the invitation to step into that, take a next step and actually change behavior and apply what you're learning. You know, Dave, I have to laugh a little bit at what you're talking about because a few years ago, I stumbled across something which I just thought was pure gold. And I thought, wow, nobody knows about this. I didn't know about it. It was something called Bloom's Taxonomy. Oh, yeah. Now, you probably know about this because Bonnie, your wife, is teaching with higher education. She does a podcast on it. Bloom's Taxonomy is actually a model that's used by a lot of teachers. And that term, Bloom's Taxonomy, means something to a lot of teachers, but to a lot of leadership coaches, to a lot of middle managers, even senior leadership within organizations. They don't even know what that is. And it's exactly what you described. You can introduce a concept to somebody and they can put it into context and conceptualize it. And they can then understand it and study it a little bit more and start getting the finer points of it. But it's not until they start putting it into practice and then even going further to be able to teach it to other people that it really sinks in and it really becomes part of their core nature. And I think that that's what you're getting at. Am I right? I think so. I know of Bloom's taxonomy, which is about my level of expertise on it. But from what you've just described and what limited knowledge I have of it, yeah, it's, it's very much a bias toward remembering and being able to understand is the first step. Right. It's not the stopping point. The next step is really application, then evaluation of how good job did you do of being able to actually take action on this. That is where a lot of the traditional learning, quote unquote learning that a lot of us do, it falls short is we don't take that next step. And some organizations and some training programs are really, really good at this, but they are in the minority in my experience. And so I think the onus for most of us is on us to really take that first step and to figure out, okay, I know I want to get better at this. How am I going to take the first step? in order to really lean into a space that's going to be uncomfortable because I am learning something new. And how am I going to make that a daily behavior and get feedback from others and verify I'm on the right path and all those things that are really the important part of learning. And so when does this switch from the category of being a consumer and start moving into the realm of being a producer? For me, it is a conscious choice of here is a place that I'm going to get better at or at least I'm going to try to get better at, I'm going to not just do all the things that I've done before, but I'm going to actually go out and be the person that's going to create this. And it doesn't necessarily mean it has to happen in isolation. In fact, it's probably better if you do it with community and go and talk and connect with others. But I'm really impressed with folks in our community who decide that they're going to do something and they don't necessarily have it figured out yet, but they have figured out what's the next step. 
And that's the thing that I find myself coaching people a lot on, Terry, and, and perhaps you run into this too, which is we've got a long-term vision for where someone is wanting to go. But a lot of the thinking is, what's the next step I can take? Because one of the big challenges I see with the people I work with, and certainly the folks in our academy, is they're really high-functioning, high-achieving people who have had tremendous success overall in their careers of doing a lot. And the thing I find that I am most often asking them to do is to do less. Instead of trying to make 20 behavior changes all at once, I'm often encouraging them to do one or two things to move forward. Because while all of our intentions are good, you can't change 20 behaviors all at once. The human brain just doesn't work very well that way. Or if it does, you move very, very incrementally on all those areas. That's another thing I really learned from Carnegie over the years is Carnegie was brilliant at getting people to focus on one thing. Oh, yeah. Marshall Goldsmith talks about this a lot in his executive coaching work, working with yeah. the top people in Fortune 500 companies. We focus on one or two things for months. So there's so many examples of how focusing on one or two behaviors over a period of time not only helps that one behavior to get a lot better, but then it gives that person agency to be able to see how much they've grown in that area and to then apply that same sort of discipline to the next thing. And the growth is really dramatically different. I find exactly what you're talking about. It's the ability to hone in and focus, not just focus, but a real heartfelt focus where you've got your whole being wrapped around something and you truly get it and you know how to separate the noise from your target. It's not just that, but you also alluded to something else that I find really resonates with me. And that is creating that space, the more responsibility that people are taking on, the more that they need to create that space. And yet that's counterintuitive from the behaviors that got them to where they're at. Usually the busier they got, the more they took on, the more they got to that place. But the higher they go, the more they need to step back, step out of things, clear their mind and think clearly at the jet stream level to really understand where things are going. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Terry. We've had many conversations on Coaching for Leaders about leaders finding solitude and making space as we have about engaging in community, because the reality is we need to do both well. And we do also, speaking of business culture, have this bias of a lot of organizations that if you're not in a meeting, writing an email, on the phone, talking with a customer, you're not, quote unquote, working. Those are all important parts of many of our workdays and the work of leaders. A really important part is getting in a room once a week, once a day, sometimes, depending on your role, and deciding what is important right now for my team. What's the next step on our vision? Where are we going to prioritize and make decisions about what we're going to produce versus just waiting to see what the organization's going to do? And stop and create the space to allow us to think on that. It's really amazing when we do that. I know when I do that to step aside and to create some of that space, it opens up so much opportunity to think and really make decisions about what's important and to have the opportunity and the margin to make a decision to be a bit of a producer, to go solve a problem and to address something proactively and to make a decision that I'm not just going to wait for what's going to come, that I'm going to go and actually move on this because it's good for me and the organization and the people that I'm serving. For the folks that are listening right now, what you're hearing 
is some of the most tangible, realistic, and useful advice that you will get in your leadership career. From Dave Stahoviak, right here on the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. Dave, we've got two last questions that I love to ask. And if you're okay with it, I'd like to throw them your way. Sure. Uh, Here's the first one. What advice would you have for the leaders out there today? Go solve a problem. Every organization has problems. In most organizations, there's a list of 20 or 30 things that senior leadership, you, your employees, your customers would love to fix. A lot of people sit around and wait for senior leadership to decide to move on something. And the reality is, in most organizations, is senior leadership is dying for someone in the organization to pick up the ball and to solve a problem and to move on it. I kind of think of a time that I heard of a case of someone really genuinely identifying a problem in the organization, taking it on, running with it, and then the organization coming back to them and saying, like, why did you dare try to solve this problem? <laughs> Usually it's the opposite. Yeah. Senior leadership, if they're not saying it, they're hoping, they're wishing that someone would just step up and take the first step to resolve this. The people that I see that become the movers, the influencers, the people that others look to in the organization are the people almost universally who have made the decision to, yes, work within the politics, yes, handle all the daily stuff, but have made a very conscious decision to become a producer and say, I am going to help the organization and our customers to solve this problem. Bing, that is the sound of the nail being hit right on the head. Oh, Oh my God, Dave, that is fantastic. I love the advice that you're giving. That's so good. Now that leads me to my last question for you. What does inspired leadership mean to Dave Stahoviak? The first time I really did a lot of thinking about leadership was when I was in college. I came across not only Stephen Covey's work, The Seven Habits Highly Effective People, but I also came across Zig Ziglar's work. Mm. I used to drive around college in my pickup truck listening to cassette tapes. You remember those, Terry? Oh, I sure do. Probably still have some. Yeah, I still got some somewhere too. <laughs> the phrase that kept coming back to me that Zig said again and again in almost every talk he ever gave was, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. Oh, and powerful. It is powerful. And I've really done my best. And boy, have I fallen short at times. But I've really tried to center my work around that phrase, relationship, And oh, by the way, marriage and parenting are really great for that too. If I can help other people be successful, do something that's useful and practical for others, the other stuff kind of takes care of itself more often than not. Well, you know what, Dave? You've been there for me. You've helped me along the way, and I'm a better person for having met you. And that's the truth. Through the mastermind group that we were part of a few years back, all the way up till now, and the great work that you're doing with Coaching for Leaders and the Academy. It's really an amazing thing. And I want to thank you for your time and for your mind power today. You truly are a thought leader in the realm of leadership, and I'm glad that you chose to share all of those wonderful golden perspectives with us today. Well, Terry, the pleasure is mine, and I hope I can toot your horn a bit as well. A couple of years ago, came on to Coaching for Leaders and talked about how to help the underdog thrive. And it's an episode that many people have found useful. 
you've done a tremendous amount in your work, especially working with folks in organizations that, for whatever reason, are the underdogs, either because of being a minority or of uh, experience or uh, whatever reason, and your practical wisdom, but also just you have to really support people and fight for people in a positive way is a great inspiration to me. So thank you so much for that gift you've given to all of us. You exemplify the gratitude that we really try to promote with a lot of leaders out there. Thank you for being that great example for all of us. Well, my friends, there we have it. Another great leader to learn from and to be inspired by. I hope you appreciate this conversation as much as I do, because it really is something special to have people like Dr. Dave Stahoviak on the show. I'll have all of Dave's contact detail and links in the show notes, and I encourage you to reach out to him. Thank you, everyone, for your attention. We appreciate your time, and I hope that you'll tune into our next show when we welcome a survivor and a resilience expert, Joanne Brennan. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Thanks, everybody. Take care, and bye for now. Thank you.